don't you put your hands together for Brother Zach Ross. Hallelujah. Can we just worship him one more time? You can clap your hands. You can lift your hands. But he's in the house this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We have the privilege of being in his presence this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't have to worry ever. Forever he's glorified. He's above all principalities and powers now. Anything that comes against us, he's already overcome. Hallelujah. Don't let the devil lie to you and make you think that it's hopeless in your life. Because it's not. As long as you're serving Jesus Christ, he is the head of all principalities and powers that come against you. And nothing shall be impossible with God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to Psalm chapter 144 and verse number 15. And while you're turning there, I'll get my notes out so I don't preach for three hours. And then I also want to thank, uh, first of all, Brother Gallion uh, for leading us, and for the rest of the staff for leading us in the will of God for this college. And uh, they do a phenomenal job of that. Don't ever, yeah, that's all right. Don't ever forget uh, the impact that these people have on your life because it's deep and it's powerful. Hallelujah. And then to the student council, Holly and Brad, I know Brad can't be here today. He's uh, having to do errands for Mark Conference, but I want to give honor to them. Um, and I'm just grateful to work with people who are serious about getting God's will accomplished in this college. And uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be with them. Holly is, I think, probably the best secretary that we've ever had at this college. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> she gets things done. <laughs> she doesn't mess around. She doesn't play games. You elected an amazing secretary. And uh, yeah, that's true. And so also Brad, he's an awesome president and leader. And I give honor to them. And then thirdly, I want to give honor to God. Because um, if he didn't reach out to me, uh, I wouldn't be here. And I know that's really profound to say that, but God has been so patient with me um, as I've grown in my relationship with him, and I want to give honor to him, because without him, none of this would be possible, and I'm so grateful that I serve a God who's in control, who knows where I'm at, who knows what I'm going through, who, who's seen me where I've been, and who sees where I'm going to be in Jesus' name. I'm just trusting in him. So with that being said, Psalm chapter 144 and verse number 15. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Turn to someone and say, who are the happy people? Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Now, I have a kind of a, a, a bargain to present to you this morning. If you preach with me, I promise to preach short. Hallelujah. Got some response right already. But if you don't preach with me, I am prepared with the help of the Holy Ghost to preach as long as I possibly can until your stomach starts growling and forces you to preach with me. Hallelujah. So, in Jesus' name. Thank you. <laughs> See, you can always get Pentecostals on board when you put food in the equation. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. 
Psalm chapter 144. This page keeps flipping, so I'm going to weigh it down with a timer. Kill two birds with one stone here. The subtitle um, in the Bible that I have for this passage gives this passage of scripture, Psalm 144. The subtitle, The Warrior's Song. The Warrior's Song. So the things that I'm going to be talking about today with the help of the Holy Ghost apply to warriors. I believe that we're all called this morning to be warriors in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I don't know where the concept, and please, I hope my tone isn't bad, but just bear with me. I, hope the, I, I don't know where the concept came from that Christians are supposed to be passive people. <laughs> but it's a lie from hell. Okay, we're not called to just sit on the sidelines where our world goes to hell in a handbasket. While American culture and American society, American institutions, and even world institutions for that matter, want to corrupt and destroy and change the foundation that this society was laid on, we as Christians are not called to just sit on the sidelines and watch it happen. Hallelujah. We are called to be warriors this morning. That means that we don't just sit around in our comfortable little church bubble and our comfortable little Christian bubble while the forces of this world have their way with people. We are called to make war with the kingdom of this world. Hallelujah. And we have the power to do that this morning through the help of the Holy Ghost. So be uh, aware of that. Everything that I'm going to say this morning applies to warriors. I believe that if you're sitting here under the sound of my voice this morning, you are called to be a warrior. You are called to be bold. You are called to be strong. You are called to be faithful. You are called to be anointed. Hallelujah. And you're called to have confidence. You're called to fight with confidence in this world against the powers of Satan. And we are uh, made known in verse number one of this passage, I'll wait for them to get it up here. David, it's a Psalm of David, chapter 144 in the book of Psalms. And he writes this phrase, uh, blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer. My shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. You see, David is completely dependent in this chapter upon the power of God to make warfare in this world. And that's exactly how we need to be this morning. Can I just tell you that if we rely on anything but God to give us strength in this last day, we are going to fail miserably. If we rely on anything but the holy power of God at work in our lives to be uh, what teaches us to war, if we rely on our own ability and our own passion and our own desires to fight this world, then we are going to lose and fail miserably. But I promise you this morning that if we will be dependent upon God, if we will trust in Him in our ministry, if we will trust in Him throughout all of our lives to do what He's called us to do, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, that we can make a difference in this society. Hallelujah. But not just that. We can't just say, okay, I'm going to be dependent upon God. Yada, yada, yada. Yay. Let's go have chips and cookies. Even though chips and cookies are good. <laughs> Hallelujah. We can't just say that and then throw in the towel. 
Because notice, if we can go back to verse number one, I want you to catch this. Notice, uh, and if, if they don't have it up there, read it in your Bibles. Notice what David says in verse number one. It's striking. He said, blessed be the Lord, my strength. Bless you. Now, <laughs> hallelujah. We can have a good time in the house of God. Now, it's not up there, but if you look in your, in, in your Bible, it says in, in, your, in your Bible, look at verse number one if you have your Bible. Bless you. It says, blessed be the Lord, in all caps, in all capitals, Psalm 144 in verse number one, says, blessed be the Lord. Now, in your King James Bible, whenever you see the word Lord, and it has all capitals in it, that doesn't just mean, God bless you, hallelujah, <laughs> Brother Chad's receiving it this morning. <laughs> when you see the Lord, Lord, in all caps, it doesn't just mean that he's saying God. Like, oh, God's helping me, or blessed be God my strength. He's saying, in fact, the covenant name of God is my strength. The covenant name of God teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. The covenant name of God is my goodness. The covenant name of God is my fortress and my high tower and my deliverer. See, we, we cannot expect to reap the benefits of God if we are not willing to establish a covenantal relationship with him. Hallelujah. We can't just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to trust in God and then not walk in his statutes. We can't just say, yeah, I'm going to be used by God and then not have a prayer life with him. We can't just say, yeah, I'm going to be used by God and then never turn to this Bible and never turn to the authority of God in our lives, our pastors, our elders, our teachers for direction. If we are going to reap the benefits of warring for the kingdom of God, we have got to establish him as our covenant God. He's not just my God that sits on a shelf on, and then I, I, I pull him down on Sunday. He's my God that I walk in covenant with every day of the week. And it doesn't matter what kind of a day I'm having. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what my present situation is. He is my covenant God. He is my God that walks with me. He is my God in whom I trust. He is my God whose word I have hidden in my heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We get wrapped up in this idea that we can just vaguely say we're trusting in God. If you're not walking with God in covenant, then you're not trusting in him. Hallelujah. I'm preaching to myself this morning. David did not win battles because of his prowess, because of his intellect, or because of his talent. He won them because he was anointed. And the only way that we can expect to have the anointing of God truly at work in our life to accomplish what he's called us to do is if we establish a covenantal relationship with him. And we know what that entails, at least at an entry level. I mean, so if I asked you what defines a covenant relationship with God, you might say, oh, well, I need to pray every day, you know, or more than once a day if you, if you desire. <laughs> Holy Ghost really starts moving. Uh, you might pray twice a day or three times a day. Or you might even get a kick like the Muslims do and pray five times a day. You might say, I need to read the word of God daily. I, I, I need to fast quite a bit. I know I just hit a wall. Once again, Pentecostals and food. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm, I'm under the same uh, umbrella there. <laughs> we need to fast regularly. We need to attend church services uh, like we want to. <laughs> We need to do works of service. We need to submit ourselves and humble ourselves. Those kind of things 
are all wrapped up in a covenantal relationship with God. And I think at some level we get that. You know, like it's not really that hard of a thing to grasp. But here's the question that I want to ask this morning. What, what, what is the motivation behind having a covenantal relationship with God? Not how do you do it, but why do you do it? What are the attitudes that come into a person when they say, okay, I really want to have an actual relationship with God. I want to be in covenant with him. What's the motivation that we need to have this morning? What's the desires that we need to have in our heart if we're actually going to have a real, sincere relationship with God? Let's look at what David writes next in verse number three. Lord, once again, covenant name of God, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. Can I tell you the first attitude that we need to bring to God? And there's several attitudes. I'm not trying to do a whole uh, exegetical thesis this morning necessarily. But I want to tell you two different attitudes that we need to bring to God today. And the first one is humility. God will elevate us into positions of leadership. He will elevate us. He will use us. In, in big positions, in strong positions, some of you have no idea what God is going to do in your life when you just trust in him. But can I tell you something? That we, and he wants to put us in those positions so that we can effectively war against the kingdom of Satan. He wants to elevate us into those positions where we can make a difference in our society. He wants to elevate us into positions as pastors and teachers and leaders where we can effectively war against the horrendous culture that we live in today. But we must never, ever forget that ministry is not an entitlement. It's a privilege. What is man that thou art mindful of him, that thou takest knowledge of him? You see, it says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, God cannot keep us in his perfect will if we aren't actually submitted to him. And can I tell you that pride never, ever comes out of a submitted spirit to God. It's always the flesh. I believe I can hear the Holy Ghost say all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father. They're of the world. So if we really want to have a covenantal relationship with God, we have got to get the pride out of our lives. We cannot be prideful about what God is doing in our lives. We cannot get a haughty spirit about us and think, well, you know, I'm the pastor or I'm the teacher or I'm the preacher, so I just get to do whatever I want to. And I'm big and bad and I'm so good and I have all the power. That's not it at all. All power comes from God. So when we get haughty in our spirits and get prideful in our spirits, it's a sign that we're trying to serve two masters. We're trying to serve God, quote unquote, and we're also trying to serve the flesh. But Jesus said it clearly, no man can serve two masters. You can only serve God or man. So if we are going to be able to serve him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength like he wants us to, we have got to get humility covered, hallelujah, in our lives. Who are we? Can you ask yourself that question this morning? Who on earth am I that God would even reach out to me to save my soul, let alone call me into the ministry? What is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Let that be our attitude this morning. The first attitude in coming to God for covenantal relationship. Lord, you are God and I am not. 
I can't rely on myself. I have to rely on you. And I'm not going to get prideful in what you're doing in my life because it's only by your grace and mercy that I can do it in the first place. Let's look at the next verse. Uh, I'm sorry, skipping down to verse number seven. Send, oops, took off my paperweight. Send thine hand from above. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. The word for strange here in this verse comes from a Hebrew word, nehar, and it means foreign. Can I tell you that we as the children of God, when we are sold out to him, when we are under submission to his will for our life, then all the people of the world are foreigners to us. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we get bad spirits. We just talked about humility. But it means that we understand that God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. <laughs> Their mouth speaketh vanity. <laughs> you see, the people of the world are all about speaking nothingness. And sometimes they're ignorant about it. And sometimes they're very intentional about it. But the fact of the matter is that the strange children, the strangeness of this world is all about speaking vanity. It's all about speaking nothingness. Don't buy into the lies of this world. They're not going to speak truth to you. They're going to speak empty things. They're not going to speak things that can satisfy you. They're going to give you things that don't satisfy you. Their mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. That means the source of power that they hold on to, the foundation of their lives, are based on things that are not true. Only living for God is a life based on truth. All else means that their right hand, that your right hand, is a right hand of falsehood. This world tells you that holiness isn't fashionable. That's a lie from hell. Their mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. This world tells you, ladies, that makeup is going to make your face beautiful, and it's going to make people attracted to you because you're not attractive already. That's a lie from hell. Their mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Help me, Holy Ghost. This world tells us, men, that we have to dress like, you ready, poster models for homosexuality in order to be classy, in order to be acceptable, in order to look right, in order to be uh, accepted by this world. But that's a lie from hell. You don't have to compromise for God to make you a classy person and to make you a dignified person. <laughs> Getting bold this morning, but that's the truth. <laughs> their mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Don't be a poster model for this world, men and women. Be a poster model for God. Don't be a poster model for vanity. Be a poster model for God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. You may be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Not afraid this morning. <laughs> this world tells us that we're just animals that evolved out of nothing, that we have no purpose in this life. I'm about to get bold again, are you ready? I'm preparing you this time. <laughs> this world tells us that all we are is animals with no life and no soul. And so you ready? Recreational sex and sensuality is okay. Free expressions of love are okay. It's just your basic nature anyway, so it's just fine. And, and, and open door policies to all lifestyles and all ways of life are completely acceptable. That's a lie from hell. You have a soul. You have a purpose. Their mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand 
of falsehood. And so the psalmist looks at the condition of the world around him. And he says, God, I can see the waters and the chaos of my society around me. I can see the craziness and the pervertedness of the pagan nations that are around me. I know that their mouth speaks nothingness, that nothing they say matters. Nothing they say has value. Nothing they say has a foundation. And their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And what does the psalmist pray? He prays, rid me and deliver me out of the hand of these waters, out of the hand of these children. Can I tell you this morning the second attitude that we bring to God when we establish relationship with him is get me out of this world make me separate Jesus I don't want to be like this world I don't want to think like this world I don't want to walk like this world talk like this world preach like this world teach like this world sing like this world <laughs> make me separate <sighs> and believe me I know that the struggle is real because this world has a pulling power. And if we're not prayed up and we're not read up, then we're not going to be able to make it. But can I tell you something? Even though it's tempting, even, you can be seated. Got to calm down. Even though it's tempting to be pulled by the power of this world because they look so smart and they act so smart and they talk so smart. I hope my attitude's right this morning. But I, can I just tell you, even though they pull and they tug and they tempt, if you will just pray, God, get your hand to me. I know that I can't make it out of this world by myself. But he says, send thine hand from above. I can't do it on my own, God. I need you to send your hand down. I need you to rid me out of this crazy mess of a world, out of this crazy society, out of this immoral nation, out of this immoral thinking, and this immoral spirit that's gotten a hold of our culture. Look what he says in verse number 9. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. Upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. Verse 10. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. I had the privilege of interning. <laughs> Trying to calm down. See, when you're fat and out of shape and you try to preach really loud and crazy, it gets kind of rough, so bear with me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I had the opportunity of interning in Oklahoma this summer with the Bishop Mark Stacy, And now the Bishop Matthew Stacy. <clears throat> and uh, we interned down there, and it was toward the end of the internship that a little friend named Carson came to stay with us. And that's Mark's and Matthew's younger cousin. He's five years old, and he's about this tall. <laughs> Just kidding. He's about this tall. But still, he's a huge five-year-old. <laughs> so his cousin came to stay with us, and it was one Sunday afternoon. Huh. And let me tell you, we didn't just get done eating lunch. We got done eating lunch. <laughs> I'm about to preach now. You thought that was preaching earlier. I could talk about Sister Stacy's cooking, and then we really start to preach and have church in this house. <laughs> I'm talking fresh cut, roast, cooked in the crock pot, hallelujah, <laughs> with all the seasonings, the gravy, fresh peeled potatoes, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> baby carrots, sweet baby carrots, fresh from the garden, just kidding, they were from Walmart, but <laughs> still good. All of it cooking and simmering and the flavors getting into the meat for a good solid 14 hours before we dove on in 
and partook of the goodness and the blessings of God. <laughs> Homemade macaroni and cheese. Whew. With Velveeta. It wasn't craft. Velveeta. <laughs> Homemade huh, bread. <laughs> Jesus be offensed. Slathered in butter. And I probably had about five helpings every Sunday. <laughs> Just kidding. You're like, you look like it. No, I'm just <laughs> I had probably about two, two helpings every Sunday. Every Sunday she made this meal. So now here's the thing. As is customary in Pentecostal Christianity, we eat a massive meal, and then instead of working off the calories that we just consumed, we get in our jammies and we go take a nap. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's what I did. <laughs> that's what I was planning on doing. I uh, had had my fill of that meal. I just told you about that meal to keep your attention, by the way. <laughs> has nothing really to do with the story. But we had just eaten lunch. I was really full and I was exhausted. And uh, so I was going to take a nap. So I changed my clothes. I get in my sweatpants, my t-shirt, hallelujah, my oversized t-shirt, nice and comfy. And I'm crawling in bed. And I was just at that point of a nap. Now, I'm really going to start preaching. <laughs> I was just at that beautiful point in the nap where I was laying there and my eyes were just kind of flickering, you know, like I wasn't quite asleep, but all the consciousness in me was just, you know, just get sucked out of you, and you just start going off in dreamland, and it's so beautiful, and I know you exhausted college students are, like, foaming at the mouth, like, I remember what sleep used to be like. <laughs> Believe me, it's year three for me, so <laughs> I know what you're saying, <laughs> and I was just almost asleep, praise God, when I hear, Carson was crying, and it woke me right up. <laughs> I was so mad. I had to pray through again, even though we had just had church that morning. And this is when I realized that, honestly, <laughs> sorry, are you awake after that scream? This is when I realized that I'm not fit to be a father yet. <laughs> because I laid there <laughs> seething. <laughs> <laughs> raging at this child. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I just lay here if it'll go away. <laughs> it did not go away. <laughs> it only intensified. <laughs> and so I'm laying there thinking, my God, <laughs> if this child doesn't stop, he's going to die. <laughs> I think to myself, okay, at some point, I'm going to have to get out of bed and go see what's wrong. And hopefully not kill him. <laughs> so then I hear Mark's door open. Yes, hallelujah, he's going to get him calmed down. I don't have to get out of bed. And after five minutes or so, I still hear crying. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? So I couldn't go back to sleep. So I get out of bed. I, I, I go outside the room, into the living room. And Mark's sitting there on the couch with Carson, and Carson just had all of his grasp on poor Todd, our little Boston Terrier at the house, and Todd's just sitting there wide-eyed like, what on earth is going on? And Carson's just got him gripped for all of his life, you know, and I sit down next to Carson on the, on, on the couch, trying to maintain myself, and I'm like, Carson, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Don't you know? People are trying to take naps in this house. 
<laughs> and he goes, he goes, and he's, he's still, you know, the tears are dripping. He's like, <gasps> you know, doing the, the, the thing. <laughs> and he's like, I, 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 I just, I, I just wanted, I just wanted someone to be awake. I said, well, that sure stinks, because I really want to be asleep. <laughs> Stood up, went in my room, shut the door, and went back to bed. Once again, not ready to be a father. <laughs> Hallelujah. But, you know, and in the moment, I really wanted to knock that poor kid's head off. <laughs> thinking about it later, <coughs> thinking about it later, I could kind of sympathize with the feeling that he was having. When I started thinking about the condition of our world and the condition of the church, the condition of God's people. You know, sometimes it just feels like you're alone trying to live for God. And you just look around at people who are walking away from holiness, excuse me, who are walking away from righteousness, who are walking away from truth and essentiality. And it's like, I just want someone to wake up and look around them and see what's going on. <laughs> Can I tell you that the only way, you're called to be a leader this morning. Do you realize that? You're not just called to be a follower. And you're not just called to be a warrior. You're called to be a leader of warriors. And can I tell you that the only way that we as leaders in this apostolic movement are going to get people to wake up and realize the truth about the world that's around them, the sin that's around them, the corruption that's around them, is if we sing a new song. <laughs> I, hear, I hope somebody can get this this morning. I, I hear the song of the world around me. Uh, you know, and it's a lot of different songs, but they all just kind of blend together to the same old message, the same old thing, the same old humdrum. You know, you're, 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 you're soulless. You're, you don't have a purpose, and you can live any way you want to, and all truth is relative, and bless God there's no morals. And uh, those Christians that want to tell you otherwise, let's just, let's just persecute them, throw them in jail. <laughs> but you know what? I hear that song. You hear that song. But in the midst of all of the craziness, the great waters, the strange children, the vanity, and the falsehood, I am going to sing a new song unto God. And I'm not just going to sing a new song. I hope you can get this. I'm not just going to sing a new message. I'm going to sing it with passion. I'm going to get, <laughs> the Bible says, on a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. I'm not just going to sing it like, la, la, la. I'm going to sing it loud. <laughs> I'm going to tell this world about God. I'm going to tell this world about his holy word. I'm going to preach truth like it's the <laughs> if it's the last thing that I do. And I'm not just going to do it, but I'm going to do it with passion. I'm going to do it with fervency. I'm going to get on the loudest instrument that I can and tell this world that's dying and going to hell that there is a God who saves, that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And I'm going to scream it, and I'm going to shout it. Oh, Jesus, help me. And you know what? If people don't like it, that's all right. I'm going to keep preaching it anyway. You want to know something powerful? You want to know something powerful? If we preach truth and the world doesn't like it, they're going to do something about it. Eventually, they're going to have laws. They're going to change their, their, their whole structure of this society. And they're going to throw us in jail. But can I encourage you this morning, we're going to have revival in the jail cells. If they throw us in jail for preaching truth. If you don't like the truth that I preach, then you're going to have to take my life. But can I tell you something? God has the power to raise me from the dead. 
Oh, death, where is thy sting? <laughs> this world will never have the last say in this fight for morals. This world will never have the last say in this fight for righteousness. I will sing a new song unto thee, O oh God. Huh. I'm going to talk about his salvation. I'm going to talk about his laws. I'm going to talk about his holiness. I'm going to talk about his righteousness. And I'm not going to stop. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to take me down. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. <sighs> Got to calm down again. <sighs> Got to join a gym or something. <clears throat> Do not expect in this society to be passive and be effective. Christ was never passive in his teachings, in his preachings, and in his faith. That doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. It's funny. I feel like whenever we talk about, you know, how we have to take a stand for righteousness and a stand for morals, somebody always pipes up and says, well, you got to do it in love. Forgive my pointedness, but no, duh. <laughs> okay? Of course we have to do it in love. The whole basis of Christ's ministry was love. If we expect to reach this world without love, we're done for. But we can never have love at the expense of compromising truth. <sighs> We can never love this world enough to let them mix in with uh, the unrighteousness if God calls them out. To put it another way, if we have the real love of God and the real humility, it comes from humility of God working in us, we will still have the same spirit that works in us righteous indignation for the things that are going on in our society. Don't ever think that love comes at the expense of boldness. Don't, it, it doesn't. Excuse me. Don't ever think that love comes at the expense of compromise. I will sing a new song. I know the song of this world, Lord, but I'm going to sing a new song. Don't sit idly by. Can I challenge you this morning? Don't sit idly by while your world goes rapidly downhill. Stand up. Get on the psaltery. Get on the instrument of ten strings and let your life sing a new song to God. Let your life testify of his glory. Let your life testify of his holiness. When people look at us, they ought to see something different. They ought to see something real. That's why the theme this year is reality. Because Pentecost isn't just something we do. It's who we are. Pentecost is a real experience. And if we're going to live holy and righteous, that's how the, the battle's going to be won. Who are the happy people? Let's look at verse number 11. I'm coming to a close. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. He's adamant. God, I need you to get me out of this world. But notice what he says next. Verse 12. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones, polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, <laughs> that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Oh, hallelujah. I was going to say the musicians can come. 
Glory to King. Everyone say that's an awesome place to be. The sons are strong and valiant in the society that the psalmist just wrote about. The daughters are beautiful and holy, polished after the similitude of a palace. Everyone's provided for. The garners are full. Everyone's taken care of in this society. Sheep are added by the thousands. The laborers are strong. Thieves and robbers don't break in to this city. And nobody goes out. No one complains. All is at rest. Can I tell you that that's exactly what God wants his church to look like? He doesn't want there to be division. He wants unity. He wants men and women who are not compromised by the filth and the garbage and the trash thinking of this world. He wants men and women that are holy as he is holy. He wants to provide for his people. Can I testify to you? I have never, ever seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He wants to add to the church daily so that it should be saved, just as he's been doing for the past 2,000 years. But he doesn't just want to do it in little trickles. And don't miss the point. It's not about numbers. But I tell you what, in this last day, I believe with all of my heart that God wants to win people by the thousands and the tens of thousands. He wants to strengthen his bride. He wants to strengthen his laborers and to care for them. He wants the church to be at rest in him. But all of that hinges on something, according to this psalm. Because every time that the psalmist lists a blessing of the church that God wants to give, there's a word that precedes it. The word is that. We might say it in our language, so that. That means that whatever precedes or comes after, so that, hinges on whatever comes before so that. This can't happen unless this happens. So what is the phrase that he uses before so that? That our sons may be his plants. That our daughters may be his cornerstones. That our garners may be full. That our sheep may bring forth. That our oxen. That there be no breaking in. That there be no complaining. Can I tell you this morning, what comes before that is the psalmist's prayer. Is the leader's prayer. Rid me and deliver me. It's personal. He says, God, rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Will you stand with me this morning?
who are the happy people. The Bible says it very clearly. Happy are the, is the people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord, the covenant name of God. The happy people are the ones who will walk in covenant relationship with God. The people that are truly happy, all else is just falsehood. The people who are truly happy are the ones who are serving God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But can I tell you something? That will never happen unless we have leaders who will stand up in the midst of the chaos of this society, in the midst of the garbage of Hollywood, in the midst of the influence of academic institutions that deny the existence of God and the work that he's doing in the world. Amidst all of that, God needs leaders. He's desperately calling leaders that will not only humble themselves before him, but they will say, Lord, get me out of this world. Rid me. God, deliver me from the hand of strange children. He needs leaders who will be strong in their convictions. God needs leaders who will not compromise even if it means losing their freedom and their lives. He's asking you to do that this morning. He's asking me to do that this morning. I'm going to open these altars up right now. And if we could just come and humble ourselves before God. Let the Lord talk to you this morning. Come on. He doesn't want you to be a weak leader. He wants you to be a strong leader. You might not even see yourself as a leader right now, but that's all right. Just trust in God. Trust in his power. I want you to pray, Lord, keep me humble.